Well, greetings in the name of Jesus. It's so good to be back with you at this time. It's a beautiful day here in Katy, Texas, and I hope it's a beautiful day where you are as well. Let's start with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for all you've done and that you continue to do in our lives. This is another weekend on lockdown for most of us, but while we are waiting for this virus pandemic to end, we can enjoy a closer walk with you, and for that we are truly grateful. We know that whatever comes our way, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. May you continue to heal us, comfort us, and keep us covered under the precious blood of Jesus. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. We'll be reading the 15th through the 24th verses. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. May God add the blessing that only he can give to the reading of his word this day. These words, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, are the words of our Lord that were spoken just hours before the greatest event in history, the greatest act of love in history, the death of the incarnate Son of God in the place of sinners, so that we who receive him and believe on him, will be forgiven all of our sins and be accepted as righteous by the creator of the universe into the never-ending joy of eternal life. 
He is, as he said in John 10, 15, about to lay down his life for his sheep. His uh, message here to them and to us is that when he dies, he will live again. And he and the Father and the Holy Spirit will come to us and be with us forever and never leave us no matter where we are or what's happening to us. Now, one of the most important things that I want to do today while we have this time together is help you to really understand what it means to love Jesus as it's laid out in this passage here. And also, what are the commandments that we are to keep? and the tremendous blessing that is promised to those who love him. Those three things are here. You see, the very essence of the gospel of Jesus is wrapped up in this 14th chapter of the gospel of John. And some of the most important, life-giving, life-altering promises that Jesus gives are tied to this statement right here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, regrettably, there are a whole lot of people today who think they know what Jesus means and really don't have a clue when it comes to this statement, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Contrary to what a lot of people think, Jesus is not saying here, show you love, well, I'm going to put it this way, Show me you love me by keeping my commandments. He says, if you love me, you will. You see, loving Jesus is not the same as keeping his commandments. Loving Jesus comes before, and the results are that we keep his commandments. Keeping his commandments is the fruit that comes forth when you love him. Now I want to kind of get things rolling here by pointing out two things. First, Jesus makes it clear uh, that the gifts that he is promising to us here are not for everybody. These are exclusively for those who love him. Now people today seem to be wanting to democratize and generalize and equalize God's love and in the process of doing so, watering down the good news of the gospel. But that's not what we find in the Bible. If you look at what he is saying realistically and honestly here in the 14th chapter, you'll see that the love that he promises us here is not a love that he has for the world. There is the John 3:16 love of God, no doubt about it, where it says, you can say it along with me if you like. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But you see, here there is a love and there are gifts that God reserves just for those who love him. Look at verses 16 and 17, if you have your Bibles open there. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. In verse 19, he says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And verse 22, here he says, well, it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And so it's clear from verses 17, 19, and 22 that the gift of intimacy and of help and of love being promised in these verses, these gifts are something that the world cannot see, does not know, is not given, and does not experience as long as they remain in the world. What is promised here is something so personal, so intimate, so reciprocal and relational that the world just can't comprehend it or receive it. Now that's the first thing. The second thing is that those who receive these gifts, these promises, this love, are not simply called Christians or believers. They're described four times in the 14th chapter here as those who love Jesus. So now then, to sum up thus far, the promises of these verses are not for the world. Worldly people can't see them, know them, or experience them. Rather, this love is for those who love Jesus. Now, I want us to look at three questions that come out of these verses and also look at the answers that are revealed for us in them. The questions are, number one, what does it mean to love Jesus? Question number two, what are the commandments that he refers to? And question number three, the last question is, what is it that we are promised if we do love him and keep his commandments? First question, what does it mean to love Jesus? Jesus tells us four times that this love is of such a nature that it results in the keeping of his commandments, or more generally, his word. Now, we've already said that loving Jesus is not the same as keeping his commandments. It's not loving Jesus equals keeping his commandments, because if that were the case, you'd flip it around. Keeping his commandments would mean that you love Jesus. And you could try, and maybe for a while, keep his commandments. But you see, what Jesus is saying, it precedes and gives rise to the keeping of the commandments. Keeping his word is the result of loving him, not the same as loving him. The keeping of his commandments is the evidence of his love or of your love for him. And it's an indicator of what or who you esteem highest in your heart. It's the fruit of your love. So what is this love like that leads to keeping Jesus' commandments? Jesus has no defects. He has no faults. He has no shortcomings. 
And therefore, we cannot and dare not love him graciously. Now, what I mean by that is that we can't love him the way he loves us. We can't love him with a love that overcomes some fault or ugliness or sin because he has none. That's the way he loves us. He loved us and he died for us while we were yet in our sins. He loved us. He loved you while you were ungodly. But you see, he is godly. He is holy. He is pure. He is just. He is truthful. So the thing is, he is infinitely worthy of being loved. We can't love him with a love that has to look past something. We can't love him with a love that overcomes something that's wrong within us. Love for Jesus is based entirely on the perfect, wonderful, loving, awesome, incredibly mighty person who he is. He is infinitely worthy to be loved. He is perfectly lovable and lovely. He is loved not in spite of who he is, but because of all that he is. St. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and for our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. If you're honest with yourself, you're going to find that within your heart there is a desire for goodness, for peace, for purity, for order, for love, for justice, for good things. There is a desire for a perfect world. There's a desire for goodness. And the thing is, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize that we're not finding those things in the world, but we have this desire within our hearts because of the image of God that is stamped on your very soul. We looked last week at the fast that Jesus is the way to the Father, that he is the only way to find these things that we long for desperately. Now, when we discover, you see, who Jesus really is, and he comes into our lives, we love his perfection, we love his purity, we love his holiness, and we don't want to be impure anymore. You'll no longer love sinning, and you, out of love, will start just naturally, it will come forth, keeping his... You see, loving Jesus isn't a matter of doing excellent things. It's a matter of delighting in an excellent Savior. 
And that means that love for him is a response to beauty and greatness and glory. It's desiring him because he is infinitely desirable. It's admiring him because he is infinitely admirable. It's treasuring him because he is infinitely valuable. It's enjoying him because he is infinitely enjoyable. It's being satisfied with all that he is because he is infinitely satisfying. It's the reflex of an awakened and newborn human soul to all that is true and good and beautiful that's embodied in Jesus. And in the presence of a beauty, a wholesomeness that our heart craves, sin loses its grip. The best way I know to illustrate this is with a story I heard a long, long time ago about a little kindergartner uh, who uh, was uh, just a, a child who lived in poverty. His home, his teacher found out by visiting there, was just un unclean. It was dirty. It was nasty. This little boy was always unbathed and he smelled, but he was sweet. And one day, close to Easter, this little boy's kindergarten teacher received an Easter lily from her fiance. And every day, the little boy would just come and stand and look at this lily. And the teacher noticed this. And so on the last day of school, she caught the little boy just standing there before he left for the day, just looking at the beauty of this lily. And she asked him if he would like it. He said, oh, teacher, I would love to have this lily. And so the little boy took it. He was joined by his bigger sister as they walked out that day. And they proudly marched home carrying this little lily. Or this lily, it wasn't a little lily. And so at the end of Easter recess, when they came back, the teacher began to notice something. The little boy came to school clean every day. His clothes were washed. He, uh, his hair was combed. And his little sister, I'm sorry, his big sister, whenever she came to walk him home, she was cleanly dressed. She was, was bathed, and she was just a different child. Both of them were. And so the, uh, the teacher asked the little boy before he left, after his sister had come one day, would, would, would you mind if I came and talked with your mom? And the children were thrilled. They said, oh, would you just come with us right now? We would love for you to come and visit with us. We love you, teacher. And so they proudly 
walked home with their teacher that day. And as she walked into the house, the house was transformed. The, the den was clean. The windows, which had been dirty, were clean. The windowsill was clean. The wall was clean. The drapes had been washed and ironed. The table wasn't cluttered. It was clean. Everything was in order. And the house just smelled clean before it had not. And so the little boy's mother only spoke Spanish. And so the big sister interpreted as the teacher asked why this tremendous transformation, what had happened? And so the little girl asked her mother, and then she replied excitedly, Oh, teacher, do you remember the flower that you sent home with us uh, before, uh, or before Easter break? And she said, Well, yes, I do. So when well, we came home and we gave it to our mother, and her mother thought it was beautiful, and so she placed it in the window so it could get sun. And then she noticed that the lily was still sitting in darkness in the window because the window was so dirty. And so she cleaned the glass in the window and then she noticed the sill was so dirty. And then she looked at this beautiful lily sitting on a now clean windowsill and she saw the filth on the walls and so she cleaned the walls. She saw the curtains, how dirty they were. She took them down, she washed them, she ironed them. And during spring break, she cleaned the whole house. And you know what else? Our father, when he came home drunk, he saw how different things were. And it changed him. He no longer drinks. He now has a job. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I tell you this. Just as that beautiful lily being brought into that dirty house changed that house and the hearts in it completely, so the Lord does when he comes into our lives. Now let me share a couple of passages in the Bible that help shed light on what I'm saying. First of all, the word love in John's gospel is used like this. In John 3.19, uh, it says, People love the darkness rather than the light. You see, that's what they wanted. They desired it. They enjoyed it. They preferred it. They didn't love the darkness out of duty. They loved it out of craving. The same kind of love is in John 12, 43. They loved the glory of man more than the glory of God. You see, they wanted it. They wanted the glory of people. They wanted affirmation from people. That's what loving it means. They longed for it. They craved human praise. That's how they loved it. Now, look at the Father's love for the Son in John 3.35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things 
into his hand. Remember the words of the Father at the baptism of Jesus and at his transfiguration? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And again, you are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Now, this is the only way to love the Son. You see, is the way the Father loves the Son, to be pleased with Him for who He is, for what He is, to feel pleasure in Him, to esteem and admire and to enjoy and to treasure and stand in trembling, happy awe of Him. When Jesus says, if you love me, this is what he means. That you don't cherish iniquity in your heart. Instead, you cherish him. And once you have been in his presence, how can you regard iniquity? How can you regard sin as something better? When you read through the Gospel of John, just looking for uh, commandments, the thing is that you're going to find, and we're looking now at question number two, what are the commandments he says he will keep, that we will keep? When you read through the whole Gospel of John, just looking for specific moral behavior commandments, you'll find two, I think. The new commandment to love each other as Jesus loved us, and the command to Peter, feed my sheep those direct, action-based commandments. But Jesus didn't say, if you love me, you'll keep my moral behavior commandments. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so, yes, we are to do these two things, but if you read through the gospel again without adding the filter of moral behavior, what you find are a lot more commandments like Receive me, follow me, get up, lame man, rise from the dead, Lazarus, believe in the light, believe in God, believe in me, abide in me, ask whatever you wish, abide in my love, receive the Holy Spirit. These are the commandments that are all over the Gospel of John. Now, how does this confirm the way that we have understood love for Jesus in John 14, 15? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, if the commandments in the Gospel of John are overwhelmingly receive, believe, ask, and abide, then it makes perfect sense that Jesus would say, if you love me, if you desire me and delight in me and treasure me, then you will receive me and believe in me and take me and have me as your treasure. You see, we will do those things. Now, if you do those things, if you desire him and delight in him and treasure him, then you will receive him 
you will believe him and you will abide in him and if you are doing those things your moral behavior will have to change don't you think in other words if you've been born again so that your treasure is Jesus and that you treasure Jesus above all other treasures and he commands you receive me take me have me as your treasure we will we'll do it if we've been born again so that we find him supremely and wonderfully trustworthy and he commands us trust me believe me we will we'll trust him we'll believe him we'll embrace his word and we will joyfully live out of it instead of trying to find excuses and trying to rationalize it we'll trustfully do what we know he wants us to do because we trustfully know that it's the best thing for us and if we're born again so that we long to be with him and he commands us to abide in him we will and so the answer to the first question what does it mean to love Jesus in John 14 15 21 and 23 it's that it means to treasure him above all others to desire him to long for him to enjoy him to be satisfied in all that he is so now then we're to the third question what are we promised if we love him like this what does he promise those who love him a few hours before he goes to die for them put simply the promise is this the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit will be with you forever now, you know I close every I, I close every service with the benediction and just asking that those things be with you forever those things are promised will never forsake you no matter where you are is what he's saying but to say this Jesus uses several different expressions and here they are verse 16 I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever when he calls him another helper he is saying this helper is not the father and he is not me because I am the first helper this second helper is the Holy Spirit and when Jesus returns to heaven he promises that the Father will send the Holy Spirit another helper to be with us and then in verse 17 he says even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you the helper the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth that is he will help you by opening your mind your heart your very being to the glorious truth of Jesus he is with you now in my presence and he will be with you in a new way when I pour him out after my ascension Jesus is saying and then verse 18 I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you 
and oh, right now, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of all the fear, in the middle of all the helplessness, this is a part of the promise that we need to cling to the most. Because he says, not only will the Holy Spirit will come, but Jesus will come. And he will give us what orphans need. And what do orphans need? Orphans need protection. Orphans need provision. And orphans need guidance. Jesus will be all that and more. He's promising now in this life. He will not leave us without help. In the midst of this pandemic, he is here to protect, to provide, and to guide in a way that's more close and intimate than the world could ever imagine. And on in verse 19, he says, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In three days, he's saying, I will rise from the dead, but I will not start my ministry over again on earth as I did before. Uh, I'm not going to minister in the same way, he's saying. Not, not the same way I've done for the past three years. I will appear to you, and you will see me, and I will assure your hearts by a bodily resurrection that you will see, and you will know that because I live, you will live also. Then in verse 20, he says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's saying you will have assurance. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give an assurance that I and the Father are one, and that you and I are bound together forever. I in you, and you in me, along with the Heavenly Father. If death couldn't sever it, you know that nothing ever will. So you know that he is right there with you right now, if you love him. Verse 21, And he who loves me, you see that? He who loves me, he who esteems me at the first place in his heart, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now see, that's not just to the disciples. That's to whoever hears these words. He's saying, my Father and I have a close family love for you. And in that love, I'm going to manifest myself to you. And I will show you things about me that the world cannot see or know. They uh, are experienced only by those who love me and treasure me and receive me and keep my commandments. In verse 23, in answer to the question as to why he's not going to manifest himself to the world, Jesus simply says again, Basically, what he says is, it's a special gift for those who love me. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That will be the evidence that he loves me. 
and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, I've had so many dear friends who named Jesus as their Lord and Savior who did not know him. They had heard of him, but they would just flat tell me, I've never heard him. I don't know that. I don't have that assurance. Now, I've been going to church my whole life. Well, I just want to tell you, if that's the case, it's because you haven't regarded him. You haven't held him in the esteem that you have to, to really love him. You have loved something else more than you're loving him. And that's going to happen. You're not going to know him. You're not going to know his love until you do that. Now, he uh, says it's a special gift for those who love me. Now, the word home is used only one other time in the Gospel of John, and that's in verse 2, where he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. And that's the same word as home that we're seeing here in verse 23, where he says, uh, We will come and make our home with him. So, if it were, and it goes on, he says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Which means, if you love me and you keep my word, my Father and I will come to you. In all your suffering and trials, in the very middle of this COVID-19 stuff, and give you heaven on earth. He says, we prepared a dwelling for you in heaven, and one of these days... You'll come, and you'll dwell there with us. In the meantime, we have something just as good. My Father and I and the Holy Spirit would like to get started like this. If you love me and keep my word, we will come and dwell with you right here, right now. I heard someone many years ago summarize this 14th chapter in these words. In death, you'll be with me. In life, I will be with you. So if you love him, you will keep his commandments. And he will come to you. And the Holy Spirit will come. And the Father will come in a very experiential and real and heartwarming way. And they will protect you and provide you and lead you and they will comfort you and love you in a very, very personal way that the world does not know and they will manifest Jesus to you and they will make you their dwelling place. So here's the question for you today. Have you loved Jesus like this? If your answer is yes, that you have regarded him above any iniquity, above any praise from any other source, then you know the calm peace and assurance which comes from living in him and in his love. And you know what it's like to have a disdain and a distaste for sin and to find yourself sorrowing if you slip off into sin. 
If your answer is yes, then you know his love and his presence. If your answer is no, then let me tell you this. I invite you on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to realize that all the goodness in life that you have longed for and hungered for isn't going to be found in any of the things of the world or in any of the opinions or praises of any person, no matter how close and how highly you regard and esteem them. If you're regarding and esteeming them, it's not going to be satisfying. The only person that can give you those things is the person, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you this, his arms of love are open to you right now. Won't you come to him right now? There's no better time than this. If you'd like to do this, I ask you just to bow your head and just pray with me right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I realize in this moment that I have known of you, but I haven't been loving you. I've been seeking in other places the things that I know are only to be found in you. And so today I ask that you forgive me for having loved sin and the world more than you. They haven't satisfied. Wash me and cleanse me in your precious redeeming sanctifying blood and give me a new start I pray you gave your life out of love for me and right now I give my life to you and now I invite you just to open up your heart and receive that love that comes to those who love him and put loving him above loving anything else. And I want to pray for you now. Father, I just lift these up that have uh, uh, now opened their hearts up to you and received you, and I pray that you and uh, your Son and your Holy Spirit will come into their lives just as you promised and that they will know your joy and your peace and your contentment and your comfort as never they have before. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.